0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. As Pastor Bob mentioned, uh, the sermon text is our gospel reading today, John 12, 20 through 33. Now, this Lenten season, we have been focusing on joining Jesus on his mission, and I'm wondering, are you starting to get it? Is it making sense to you? If you've missed the last few weeks, allow me to give you a quick review. And if you're interested in watching the sermons, we do have them online on our website. You can find them there. But three weeks ago, Greg Finke, the author of the book that we're looking at, was here. And he helped us to understand that it is Jesus who is doing the heavy lifting of redeeming people, of bringing them to faith in the promise of salvation that he gives. Pastor Finke helped remind us that it's our job then to enjoy people sharing with them the hope that we have as Christians. But it's Jesus' mission, and we get to go along for the ride. The week after that, I preached on how the river has moved, which is a metaphor for how today's culture is vastly different than it was 50 or even 25 years ago, especially when it comes to spiritual or moral or sociological approaches to life. But as followers of Christ, we still get to pick up our crosses and follow Jesus, who knew this day was coming, and who still had a plan working in the lives of those we interact with every day. Last week, Pastor Bob reminded us that we, as the church, are in the business of being sent out by God into the community to go on mission for Christ, that we have been called as God's beloved children as a body of believers, to go and share this good news of salvation. And so here we are, week four, in this season of Lent, a time of reflecting on Jesus' slow and steady walk to the cross to die for our sins, and the resurrection from the dead that we will be celebrating at Easter. This is a big picture approach to the focus that we've had, and I just wanted to make sure you're still on track with this. Because it's important. It's important to note that the reason we're talking about this is because Jesus' saving act didn't end 2,000 years ago. It still continues to this day in the lives of the people we know who maybe don't go to church. Or who are yet to believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has eternal bearings on their souls. And so as I got ready for this week to preach, I had a couple of options for a text that I could focus on. The first one was actually from Mark 1, 14 through 18, and I kind of liked it. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And I like that text because I like to fish. And I like the metaphor that Jesus uses here, too. And I think other people liked fish, right? I'm reading a book right now called Hinges. And it puts this text in a little bit of a different light. It says that if it was uh, said in today's world, Jesus might have said something to the effect of, uh, to catch a fish, you actually have to go fishing. And to be fishers of men, you actually need to go fishing. But some people, some people don't like to fish. My Grandpa Bodine's dad, so that would be my great-grandpa on my dad's side, was a commercial fisherman on Lake Superior before and during the Great Depression. And when he went fishing, he was a bit more like we see with Simon and Andrew, who used nets to catch a lot of fish all at once. And because of that, my grandpa, the commercial fisherman's son, didn't see the value of sitting for a long time with a rod and a reel, putting just one line and one hook in the water. To him, it was highly ineffective and, quite frankly, a waste of time. At least that's how he saw it. Now, rest assured, I went fishing with my other grandpa, so I didn't miss out on that experience. (laughs) But Grandpa Bodine had a point, right? Why put just one line in the water at a time? And the same could be said about the church. Now, many of us see South Shore Trinity as that one line in the water, but in fact, if you look at this map, it even looks like we're on the water. You see, we're just right of center. It's a little black dot. That's South Shore Trinity. It looks like we're fishing in the water with one little line. But that's not the kind of fishing the church does. Now, we as the church, as the people of God... As the disciples of Jesus here at South Shore Trinity, we are actually more like a net. When you plot everyone on the map, it looks something like this. Please go. There it is. It looks like I gave White Bear Lake the chicken box. And these are just the home addresses plotted on the map. Imagine if I plotted the places you worked and where you shopped, where you visited. If you connect all those dots, that's it's quite a map or it's quite a net. And if God's the one doing the fishing, and he is, a net like this would be much more effective. But this text from the Gospel of Mark where Jesus calls the fishers of men isn't the one I chose for this weekend. Because once I saw the John text, the gospel reading for the day, I knew it was on this text that I needed to preach. And the reason I picked this text versus the Fishers of Men text is that this text actually actually aligns with our Lenten journey to the cross much better. You see, we find this text in the Lenten context, and it actually comes from the last week of Jesus' life before his death on the cross. In fact, in the book of John, it is actually the first thing recorded right after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This happens right after Palm Sunday. And so when you hear a verse, like we do in verse 23, where Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. When you hear that in the original context, it's actually a rather exciting verse to hear by the original hearers of Jesus. Because for so long they kept hearing my hour's not yet come. Nope, not yet. Hang on, it's not here yet. But now, boom, they hear, my hour has come. And this is exciting because they wanted an earthly king to rise up and overtake the oppressive Romans and to become the world superpower that they were expecting would happen when the Messiah came. They thought his glorification was world domination. They had no idea that Jesus would be the most glorified when he was the most humiliated. The moment of his death on the cross. That he was glorified by dying. Perhaps they didn't understand exactly what Jesus' plan was at that moment. Perhaps their eyes of faith weren't opened yet by the Holy Spirit. But there was something, there was something special about this guy, Jesus. There was a reputation, and not just of someone who took on the establishment, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes and lawyers, but there's a reputation that when Jesus taught, he taught with truth and authority they were unmatched by any earthly creature that has ever existed and this reputation was known by outsiders of the jewish people greeks non-covenant people gentiles sought after jesus to learn the truth and we see that today in john 12 verse 20 and 21 that says now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, the festival being the Passover. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, "Sir," they said, "we would like to see Jesus." Did you catch that? Did you catch what they wanted? "Sir, we wish to see Jesus." The Greeks also had a reputation Some would travel incessantly seeking after the truth. They would debate it and try to figure out the secret that seems to be eluding them. One commentary describes the Greeks as an inveterate wanderer driven by the wanderlust and the desire to find out new things. And so they wanted to see Jesus to hear this new thing. It's interesting. The same thing, it seems, could be said about Americans today. There's a similar desire to seek the truth. And when people can't find the truth, or they haven't heard the truth, they make up their own truth. These are our neighbors and our friends. These are co-workers and fellow students. These are family members and acquaintances. They, too, seek the truth. But this sermon isn't for them. I'm not preaching to a bunch of seekers who want to catch a glimpse of Jesus. No, this sermon is for the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Christ, here at South Shore Trinity. And as we look at the reading for today, we see two other disciples of Jesus. One is named Philip, the other is named Andrew. Andrew. It's really hard to find a picture of Philip and Andrew, just in case you're wondering. But as I describe them and their actions to you, I want you to try to figure out which one you're more like. First, we have Philip. I read in a commentary that the Greeks probably went up to Philip because he had a Greek-sounding name. I also found out that Philip's name means lover of horses. That's something you're going to remember a lot longer than you care to admit, to the Greeks, it seems there was a, a perceived similarity or, or a connection, and they were comfortable enough with this acquaintance to make their request, to ask the question. Now, it's not said overtly, but it's possible that they might have known Philip from when we heard about him earlier in the book of John, chapter 6, when Jesus feeds 5,000. Philip was mentioned by name, in that pericope, as well as Andrew. And though Philip was following Jesus, and he was doing good things like feeding the hungry, when someone asked to see Jesus, what did Philip do? He passed the buck. Swing and a miss. Verse 22 says, Philip went and he told Andrew, not Jesus. And so what did Andrew do? He grabs Philip and he brings him along, and they both went straight to Jesus. Now, sadly, there seems to be a little bit of uncertainty as to who exactly Jesus talks to in the next verse. It says, Jesus answered them, but who's the them? The disciples? The Greeks? I hope it was the Greeks. And I think it could be since they were the ones who asked and Jesus answered. But based on the Greek language, we're not sure. But the point I want to make is that for whatever reason, Philip hesitated and Andrew didn't. So in your lives, the people you know that aren't Christians, are you a Philip or are you an Andrew? Are you hesitating, or are you delivering them to Jesus? Because people want to hear what Jesus has to say. They need to hear the truth about who they are, and what God has done for them. They have consciences just like you and me that weigh them down. They have the natural knowledge of the law built into their hearts And they know they are falling short. What they don't know is that they have a God who loves them, who willingly went to the cross for them. They, like the Greeks before them, need to hear that it was for this purpose that Jesus came to this hour. And like the bronze snake lifted on the pole in the wilderness, Jesus was lifted up on the cross. Dying for our sins. Dying for their sins. And by doing so, he draws all people to himself. This includes our neighbors. The people we know who are seeking the truth. Our family members who have stopped attending church. Our coworkers and classmates. Jesus draws them all to himself. And he does the heavy lifting of creating faith. If you're hesitating because you're not sure how to do this, Pastor Finke gives some great practical first steps that you can do from his book. He's got five practices you can do on a regular basis, but I'm not going to get into them now. And it's possible, even if you do the five practices, that people will continue to reject Jesus and not have faith in the promise of salvation. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be outdoing them. Because as strange of an idea as it is, God's able to use sinners like you and me so that people may know the truth, truth about who God is and how God loves. Amen.